Good morning, church. Yeah, that was really lame. I'll try that again. Good morning, church. Good morning. All right. Hey, my name is Chad McCartney. I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Austin Oaks Church, and uh, we're really thankful that you're here today to worship, in particular if you're new with us. Uh, we love having new guests here, and we want you to know that really we're just a church that's simply about Jesus, and our heartbeat is to help people meet know and follow him in their lives. And we are in the midst of a series, in fact, we wrap it up today, titled, I'm Not Okay. And, and just uh, being able to, to say that to people and, and let this be a place where it's okay to not be okay and walk through different challenges and seasons in life. And if you've been here with us, you know the last few weeks we've addressed a couple issues like guilt and shame. Pastor Brandon dealt with both of those things, and today I'm going to wrap up the series by talking about uh, depression. And I just got to warn you, it's, it's going to be kind of a depressing message. I know, that was just, it was right there. I just had to, you know, take a swing at it. Was that good? Brandon told me to, to say that, so I just... I know, it was a bad dad joke, and I just did it for him right there. So let, let, me, let me just say this uh, up front. This is a, a challenging message. There's a whole lot of uh, loaded uh, heat behind this whole thing, and I think uh, you're going to see we're going to cover it very biblically, very holistically, but I also am going to need you to withhold some of your judgments until you hear the whole message. Because as many people as there are in this sanctuary, there's that many opinions about depression and Christians getting depressed and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just going to ask you, uh, just withhold that for now and walk through, let the message come to its completion, and then respond based on what you hear. Uh, because I'm going to address it biblically, but I believe when you address it biblically, you're going to address it holistically. And I'm going to say some things probably up front that may uh, rustle your feathers a little bit, but if you can just stop and say, okay, God, I want to learn, I want to hear, let me hear the whole thing, ride it out and you'll see. And, and you're going to see, one of the things I think you're going to see is if we connect these two, we've learned that guilt, guilt has to do with things that we've done. When we do something wrong, we are guilty. We can feel guilty. Shame has to do with how we can feel about ourselves. So guilt is, is based on something that I've done. Shame often relates to who I think I am. I think I'm a bad person because I've done something wrong. And so it's based more on a feeling about ourselves sometimes and guilt based on a fact. Have I done something wrong? Have I not done something wrong? That's simplifying, but you're getting a chance to see the difference between those a little bit. I, I believe depression now can become a symptom of undealt with guilt and shame. Now, here's what I mean by that. It's not necessarily your guilt and shame. It could even be other people's guilt or shame. When people sin against you, it can lead to your depression. When someone does something harmful towards you or they're guilty for doing something harmful towards you, it can lead to a depression or discouragement in your life. So you can be innocent in the action, but you can experience the result of that actual action. In fact, I believe all, all depression is, is a result of sin in our world. Not necessarily a personal sin, but we live in a fallen, broken world, so that alone can lead to depression. A person's body can just break down as they age, just like any part of our body can break down. Your brain can break down as well, and you can experience bouts of depression or physical-type depressions because of the fact that we live in fallen, broken bodies. Nothing you did. You can experience depression because someone has sinned horribly against you. Uh, people who have experienced abuse or, or have been in uh, very hostile environments of other people's sin constantly can have ongoing bouts of depression because of other people's sin against them. And then you can experience depression because of your own sin. 
because of your own guilt, your own shame, and you have engaged in a lifestyle where you're continuing to heap guilt and shame upon yourself, and you're not addressing it, and you're not facing it, and you're not dealing with it, and it'll result in depression as well. So it can be a personal sin issue, it can be an external sin issue, it can be the the presence of sin in our world. Rarely is it ever just one of those exclusively, though. Here's what I need you to hear. Even if you've been sinned against 100%, someone else's fault is sinned against you, usually that results in our own sin piling on top of that. You see, when we've been hurt, it's by nature that we become upset, we get angry, we get bitter, we harbor unforgiveness, even if it's 100% the other person's fault, or if it's just part of the world that we live in, we can get bitter at God. God, why did this happen in my life? Why is this going on? And then we start exasperating our situation, and we add those things onto it. And that's, all these things can result in depression in our lives, anxiety and depression. In fact, these disorders are the most common mental illness in our nation. Over 40 million people deal with these issues in our country. In fact, a third of our national budget or a third of the resources that go towards mental health deal with depression. Like this is a reality in our world. And here's what I find fascinating is it's exasperated in our nation, in our developed nation. We probably have the highest rates of depression of any nation in the planet and yet we have the most comfortable and highest standard of living. It's just a reality that here it is. So what is it that's causing this? Many of the godliest characters in the Bible and throughout history have dealt and struggled significantly with discouragement and depression. If you've read the Psalms, a third of them are called lament psalms. And oftentimes, like the two we read today, you experience someone who's, if you were to examine them and evaluate, would say, this person is experiencing some form of depression. My tears are my food day and night. All my energy is sapped away from me, we hear from the sons of Korah in the psalm. David regularly prayed things like that. We see prophets like Jeremiah considered a weeping prophet. If you read his books, you'll go, this guy is like, like depressed all the time. Elijah. Elijah was suicidal. After one of his greatest ministry experiences in his life, he takes off and he goes to sleep and he just tells God, just take my life. I don't want to live anymore. And the list goes on and on. Not just biblical people that we see in the, in the Bible, but people like Martin Luther. Martin Luther, one of the fathers of the Reformation, struggled intensely with depression Charles Spurgeon, whom you'll hear me quote and mention many times because he's someone who many of us respect and think of as a highly godly and very effective person in the Christian life, he struggled immensely with depression. David Brainerd, all these people. And I say these because we need to realize this is a normal part of the Christian journey. And we as a church have not handled it well. And so today, my hope is that as we look into God's word, that we'll have a better perspective, that we'll leave here a better informed with a more holistic, biblical perspective on this issue that's impacting huge numbers of people in our nation. People whom we have no chance to love and minister to and reach and help if we have a bad perspective on something that's so prevalent. So today I want to describe a couple things. I want to describe the condition of depression and see that a little bit from this passage. I want to look at some of the common causes of it. We won't address every cause, but from these passages we'll, we'll be able to touch on a number of them. Uh, I also wanted to help uh, see a way to confront it. How do you confront depression in your life? I don't think you can cure it fully here this side of heaven, nor do you necessarily need to, but you can confront it in a way that allows you to walk through it when those seasons come. And lastly, I'm going to ask you to make a personal commitment on how you are going to live 
differently in relation to this issue. What are the conditions of it? What's the causes? How do we confront it? And what's the commitment we can make? So let's pray, and then we'll dive into this passage. Psalm 42 and 43 is, we read it already in the service. I'll just be walking and talking through different points as we go through it today. Father God, I'm thankful for the privilege of being able to open your word and just share it today. I'm I'm thankful um, I'm thankful for the journey that you've taken me on. And Lord, I pray that you will use my brokenness and your truth to communicate what is necessary for your church today, Lord. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in our hearts and our minds, that it would remove strongholds and wrong thoughts and the things and stubborn opinions that we might have that aren't based on truth but are based on maybe just our experience or our limited knowledge or our limited understanding and have caused great damage and harm to other people and to our church. And Lord, may your truth breathe life into us as a body that we might be a people. Man, if there's ever been a people who can love our world through the the discouragement and difficulty of depression, it's us as a church. We have the ultimate hope. So Lord, equip us to do just that today for your glory, for our good, and for the good of our city, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It was the summer of 2014, and we were getting away finally as a family for some vacation uh, we got away from our homes. We're staying at a friend's place. And, and I remember going to bed that first night utterly exhausted. I woke up 12 hours later. Never sleep, sleep that long. Uh, any of you that know me know I'm a, a normally an early riser. I get up early and just that's my favorite part of the day. 12 hours, only to feel exhausted that day and, and continue that pattern the whole time we were on vacation. 12 hours of sleep, feeling exhausted when I got up. I had no idea what was going on in my body. But the fact is I was clinically depressed. I didn't know it at the time. Uh, I was in denial of it. It would take a, a whole lot of denial. It would take a whole lot of truth from my wife. It would take a, a lot of a counseling and a, an inordinate amount of reading on the topic and finally locating a counselor about three hours away to walk me through what would be one of the most difficult journeys in my life. I never thought I would experience that. I mean, I I was the guy who always woke up by 5 a.m. Like, the first part of my day was reading, journaling, praying. Is how I started my day. I exercised, and I would be the first guy at work, even after doing all that stuff. In fact, no one would outwork me. That was kind of one of my Midwestern prides. I was going to always bring my best and always be the one with the most work ethic. No one was going to get there before me, and I would usually be the last to leave. In fact, That had been an aspect of pride wrongly for me. But that's who I was until this hit. The previous 10 years of our life had been anything but normal. Uh, We'd had uh, career changes. Uh, We'd had significant financial changes as we moved from our careers in teaching into a seminary for four years and then into ministry. We had a huge change in culture as we went into a different culture. We had incredible transitions in a church that we had to navigate, some really difficult conflict and personal attacks on our family that took place during that time. We faced uh, an incredibly difficult medical situation with our youngest daughter that lasted multiple years and cost us tens of thousands of dollars over that season. So other than that, it was a pretty normal decade. But I was done. I seemed to have nothing left. Nothing I did, no amount of prayer, 
no amount of Bible reading, no amount of faith seemed to fix my situation. My passion for ministry had all but left, and every hobby that once brought me joy just heaped guilt upon me for not doing it again today and trying to find something that I could find joy in. I dragged myself to church, preaching our three services, desperately hoping I could get out of the church building before someone would stop and feel the need to pour out all their struggles for the week upon me because I just didn't have the energy to even listen. But depressed? I couldn't be depressed. I just needed some rest. I just needed a little bit more regular exercise, just a few less tacos, maybe a little more prayer, a little more Bible reading, a little bit more faith, and it would all go away. But the problem is none of these things worked for me. Even in the rare moments when I had enough energy to do them. Now, were it not for the shared experiences of some pastors who had written about their journeys on this subject and the continual encouragement of my wife to look for help, I'm not sure I'd still be in ministry today, yet less maybe even married. One of those books that uh, encouraged me was a, a book written, co-written by Tommy Nelson and Steve Levitt. In fact, we've created a guide, Don Reed and myself. He's put some resources down there in terms of counseling help uh, around the area, and I've put a list of books that were instrumental in helping me, and this book is one of them uh, that Tommy Nelson, the pastor of Denton Bible Church, co-wrote with Steve Levitt, who's a, a pastor or a Christian counselor uh, that was at the church, friends with Tommy, and walked through this scenario. And the book kind of tells the journey of Tommy Nelson facing the same kind of situation, and then Steve Levitt talks each other chapter uh, from a counseling perspective as they walk through it. And that book really opened my eyes to a lot of things uh, that were helpful. And, and the most helpful was the fact that Steve Levitt had moved his practice from Denton down to New Braunfels, which is just a three and a half hour hop, skip, and a jump from the central hub of Laredo. Yeah, that was a joke, right? And gave me access to someone who could walk with me through this journey. And over the next several months, I would meet with Steve as he walked me through uh, what was a year-long beginning of my journey of dealing with depression in my own life. I could assume uh, with a, a room this size that I think pretty good accuracy that I'm not the only one in this room that's experienced that. And I could assume even further that if you've never experienced it, you probably uh, know someone or are close to someone who has walked through this situation as well. It's so common that most of us uh, are familiar with it and at least been around someone that's been uh, in that circumstance. Unfortunately, as I've mentioned, the church at large has not always been helpful when it comes to addressing this particular situation. And there are just as many opinions about uh, the causes of depression and how we should treat it as there are often people in the room. So my hope today is that this message will be a step towards better equipping us all to handle an issue that's incredibly prevalent, not just in our nation, but inside our churches. So if you have your Bible, Psalm 42 and 43 are the psalms we're going to look at today. There's lots of places we could go, but these are two that are put together that, that have a lot in them about this topic. And again, this is not comprehensive, but I think it'll cover a lot of different issues and at least begin the conversation. So I want to start with this concept of what is the condition of depression? What is it? Like, where does it come from or what is it? And then we'll get into the causes. So let me start with a couple definitions and some quotes that I think will help set this groundwork. Depression is a psychological state that exists when the heart is pressed down and unable to experience joy. So there's a, a simple psychological definition. When the heart feels pressed down and is unable to experience joy. Just so you know, it's not just a modern day issue. In the second century A.D., the physician Eretheus 
referred to his melancholy patient. So if, if you read old literature, melancholy is the term they use for what we now call depression today. So he wrote about this in the second century, and he referred to his melancholy patients as sad, dismayed, sleepless, said they became thin by their agitation and loss of refreshing sleep. At a more advanced state, they complain of a thousand futilities and desire death. That's the second century AD. I know you can go back even further than that, but I, I hope that that was at least enough for you to realize this isn't a modern issue. The word that's used in our psalm today, three t- different times in the refrains, it says, why so downcast are you my soul? That Hebrew word is an incredibly strong word that means to be dissolved. It means to be crumpled, to actually collapse. It's this concept of I'm done, it's over, I have absolutely nothing left. I'm done. That's what that word means. That's the word the psalmist is using. I love this illustration by June Hunt, who's a Christian counselor as well, but she shared this picture that I thought was really helpful and I think will help us all, is is if I had a pillow up here, she'd describe depressed just from the word. If I took a heavy weight and I put it on the pillow, it would depress the pillow. That's kind of where the word comes from. You depress it. And if I left it there for a handful of minutes or maybe even the day, you know, I'd pick it up and it would look depressed, but the pillow would eventually pop back to where it was supposed to go because it's designed to handle that for a while. However, if I took that pillow and set it here in the corner of the stage and then I put that weight on it, and then I said, we're going to leave this here until December 31st, the very last day of this year, And on December 31st, we came over and we took that weight off. What do you think would be true? That pillow would never spring back up to where it once was because it had been depressed under that pressure for so long, it's not designed to bounce back after that much pressure. That's the difference between situational depression that we all probably feel at certain times in our life and maybe what's more like clinical depression where a person's been under an amount of stress for such a long time that that pillow system in our body has been overstressed for too long. Just like anything, and we struggle with this, if you overstress a bone in your body, what does it do? It breaks. None of us doubt that. Oh, you got to go get help for that. But somehow, when it comes to things that happen in our brain, we all think we're experts as to how it should respond. And we forget that your brain, like your bones and like every part of your body, are under the fall of sin just as every part of your body is. And if you overstress it like any other part, it is possible to break it in such a way that you might need to address it somehow for the remainder of your life. And as Christians, we sometimes shame people indefinitely for certain things when we're popping our pills for our medication or we're taking our natural stuff, we're doing all of our things to kind of fix our little ailments, but their ailment, hmm, There must be a deeper problem there. And it's not to say there aren't any deeper problems. It's just to say that every part of our bodies fall under the the curse of sin and can be impacted. So that's what depression is. It's being depressed. It's being pushed in under a load. And so what are its causes? We're going to see three of them that I think cover a lot of it in this psalm and certainly they're not comprehensive. But let's walk through these three real quick so we can get to how do we confront it. So the first cause we see in this passage is a prolonged separation from God and his purpose from me. One cause of depression can be a prolonged separation from God and his purpose from me. So what does that look like? Well, in this passage, we see it with the psalmist as he talks about what happened in his life. He says, uh, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Meaning he can't come and appear before God. Remember in the Old Testament, they had to go to the temple. That was kind of the place where they went to worship God. 
That's how God had revealed himself in that season. And so he's saying, when can I go there? And he says, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He's remembering this, but he can't experience it. In verse 6, he says, down here, he says, My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. These were locations that are way north of Israel. Like you can't even see Jerusalem from these spots, but they're the last high points that you might get a glimpse looking back over the nation of Israel. So what's most likely happening is these sons of Korah who were worship leaders in the temple back at that time are probably recording an event that happened in one of the exiles when they were taken out of the nation. And they were being marched and each of the nations that exiled them where you'd start the journey north and you'd either curve over to Babylon or Assyria, whatever it might be. So they're talking about that last glimpse where they've been gone or maybe they're already in exile and they're just remembering the last time I got to see a glimpse of where your temple was, God. The last time I felt like I had any hope of worshiping with you was that moment when we made that last little glimpse back. And they were separated from what was normal for them. They couldn't, they couldn't do what they were designed to do and called to do. God had made them worship leaders. They were in a foreign land. They couldn't fulfill the purpose that God had for them. And that went on for a while. Now, for us, we can have very similar situations. Sometimes you have to move against your will. Maybe you're part of a family and your family's moving and it's not necessarily your will and you go. Maybe it's a work scenario. Maybe it's a health issue that takes you somewhere. Maybe it's just the loss of a job. Something that separates from you from what you feel like you were designed to do and you have a prolonged period where things aren't the way they normally were for you. And an extended period like that can lead to a depression, a time of extended discouragement in your life, and you may not even recognize that you're in it. Others probably do, but you may not. It happens to any number, one, any number of us. The second thing we see in here is a prolonged trial or back-to-back trials. A prolonged trial or back-to-back trials. Look at verse 4 and verse 7 in, in chapter 42. Verse 4 says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Here, the psalmist is reflecting on when he used to be able to do this. So it's been a while. He hasn't been able to go and do what he's wanted to do for a long time, so he's in this prolonged trial. He, all he can do is remember those times, and, and we do this all the time. In fact, this is maybe a sign that you might be uh, slightly depressed right now, is when you're always talking about the good old days, oh, oh yeah, I, I remember back then. I, I remember back then. I, you know, it's, it, we all reflect to some degree, but you know what? The good old days really weren't all that good. Like, the people back then, when you were in your good old days, they were reflecting back on their good old days, right? Sometimes we think somewhere else is gooder than where we are right now. Yeah, I said gooder. <laughs> because where we are right now, we're so depressed and discouraged about our present circumstances that we're failing to see why God has us where we are right now. The same was true of the psalmist. You see, God had a, a purpose for even his exile that he gave to his people, but all they could do is think about, man, I remember when we were back there. Second thing you see in this passage as well is in verse 7. It says, deep calls to deep, and at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. The psalmist is just is talking about what many of us have experienced. It's like one trial after another. Like if you've ever jumped into the water like near a waterfall or been under the, the weight of a waterfall, it just like pounds you so strongly that no matter what you do, no matter how hard you fight, you just can't get 
past that. You got to get away from it if you're ever going to get up. Or if you've ever been in the ocean when there's lots of big waves, it just comes one after another. And if you get knocked over a little bit, man, they just come one after another and they just knock you silly and disorient you. And, and the psalmist is using that image to say life brings these kinds of things to us at times. And when you experience those kinds of trials or back to back to back to back trials. It'll knock you down. It'll depress you for a long enough season that you may never fully bounce back the way you once did. It's just part of life. Third thing we see in here is that uh, I can experience uh, depression from experiencing attacks from others, when I'm experiencing some kind of external attacks from others. The psalmist says it in verse 42.3. He says, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? They is probably referring to the enemies or the nation that was taking them away into exile. In fact, this would have been a real common phrase because in the Old Testament times, each nation was represented by a different God. And every nation had its own God. And so when they went to battle, if a nation won, then they celebrated the fact that their God was the real God or their God was the real strong God and the other God's, other person's God was just a, a fake. And so that's exactly what would have been happened as these soldiers would have marched the Israelites out. They would have been mocking them saying, hey, like, where is your great God that you guys talk about? Because we're taking you away and we're looting you and taking all your stuff. And they were just mocking them over and over again. In Psalm, uh, in verses 9 and 10, look what he says. He says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemies? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? You look at the beginning of, of chapter 43, which really this is just one long psalm. The refrain shows us that. It just got broken up when they broke up chapters. It says, vindicate me, God, and defend my cause against ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. Attacks from others can lead to a season of depression. They can be physical enemies like real people, like the Israelites experience, but even more so as Christians, we have a spiritual enemy that still has some reign and some authority in this world and even is allowed by God to test you at times. Just as Jesus said about Peter, he said, Peter, Satan is asked, to sift you like wheat. But I will pray for you and you'll be restored. That can happen to you and me as well. And those kinds of attacks can sink you physically and spiritually into a difficult time. These attacks could be unbelievers coming after you. It could be believers coming after you. It could be the situation that's often experienced by many people where there's physical or emotional or sexual abuse, and you're in a, a time where people are attacking you over and over in ways like that. And it's why so many people who have had to walk through those horrible circumstances often deal with mental health issues the remainder of their life. You need to understand, you are not to blame or nor do you need to heap false guilt or shame on yourself for feeling like you're physically weaker because of coming out of circumstances like that. It's naturally part of what happens when you find yourself in those situations. In fact, people who have been in combat, they call it PTSD, a lot of those things are all related to the similar system in our bodies. And when you find yourself in such heightened places of attack, and intensity for extended seasons of time, it does damage to our bodies. We see it right here. Can I say something just really raw right now? You know, possibly the, the most hurtful and damaging words and wounds 
that we've heard as a pastor and as a pastor's family have not come from people outside the church. They've come from right here inside the, the church. Some of the deepest hurts and wounds that we've experienced, and, and I know we're not alone in this. You probably have been there too. In fact, many people don't go to church now because they've been hurt by the people in the church. Because just because we show up here on Sunday, it doesn't mean we're all Christ followers. There's a whole mix of people in here. And sometimes Christ followers don't act like Christ followers. They can be really cruel and ugly, just like the most ugly person out in the world. And when that happens, it is deeply hurtful. I'm not sure I'll ever get over that fact. But I'm certainly no longer naive to its existence. Before we move into how I can confront it, I want to just read some quotes from Charles Spurgeon because I think he's an, an example of someone whom we, many of us look up to and see as an effective and faithful servant of Christ, but most of us know very little about his personal life. He writes these things personally. He says, these casting downs, these times of depression he's talking about, of the Spirit are part of our calling. If you are to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, you must endure hardness. You will have to lie in the trenches, sometimes with a bullet lodged here or there, and with a saber cut on your forehead or an arm or a leg shot away. Where there is war, there must be wounds. And there must be war where there is to be victory. Said so this very casting down into the dust sometimes enables the Christian to bear a blessing from God, which he could not have carried if he had been standing upright. Now, when we lived in Laredo, we had several friends that were ranchers out there, and the ranches out there are very cowboyish, you know, it's high chaparral type of uh, geography, very dirty, dusty, sandy, not very much rain, uh, but these, the ranchers would, would dig out and plow out what they called tanks. Okay, a tank is just a southern name for a pond. It was a man-made pond. And what they would do on their ranches is they would find the natural ways in which water would flow after a heavy rain. And then they'd find that end point and they'd dig that area out as much as they could so that when a heavy rain came, it would fill up this tank and they'd have some water in the tank at least during long seasons of droughts for the cattle and for other animals on their property. But what was interesting is, is every so often you'd get a drought that was really bad. There was always droughts, but that tank would always hold a little bit of water. But after a long season of drought, that tank would literally dry up. It would start cracking. And the wise rancher would go back to the tank, and he'd get his equipment, and he'd dig it deeper while it was dry. Because every time it rained, it would carry more silt and sand into it, and the tank would get shallower and shallower and shallower. You couldn't see it because there was water in there, but it was holding less and less water all the time. And until a major drought came, he couldn't dig it out even deeper, so it was capable of holding even more rain when the next rain came. I believe that's a metaphor for how God works in the life of a Christian. I believe he allows and even brings intentionally deep seasons of drought into a Christian's life. Because in our times of constant blessing, silt and things gets running into our lives and, and we get shallower and shallower and shallower. We look the same on the surface because the water level's the same, but we're filling up from the inside. And we're shallower and shallower. And a great season of drought allows him to painfully, but in a good way, dig your soul deeper in preparation for the rain he's going to bring. Some of you are there right now. And it's the most painful thing you've ever gone through in your life. You feel alone you feel isolated, you're like one Sunday 
from quitting this whole thing. If you hear nothing else today, I pray that you'll hang on for the rain that's coming. God is doing the deepest work he's ever going to do in your life in those moments of darkness. And you're going to see that as we continue to lean in to the psalmist. So how can I confront my depression? And I chose that word specifically because I don't think we ever hear it this side of heaven, but we certainly can confront it. And the psalmist does that three times throughout this psalm. Three times because three was a number of completion. Even though he never experienced it in the psalm, I love that about this psalm. It's called an open lament because he never experienced what he was praying for. It reminds us that there's going to be seasons where we're going to pray over and over and over again, and we're not going to get an answer at the end of the 30-minute episode of the sitcom that we're living in our lives at that moment. But he looks towards that hope, and he says this over and over in the frame. I'll just read one of them, which is in verse 5 of Psalm 42, but you can find this three times throughout the Psalms. It says, why are you cast down Oh, my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? I think that question is so key that if you want to confront your depression, you need to seek to determine its causes. You need to ask that question. Why am I where I am right now? Why am I feeling this way? It doesn't mean you're going to fix it, but it'll help you gain some understanding and maybe even uh, uh, some compassion in the process or see the journey. Answer that question, why am I here? Prayerfully consider your circumstances and your attitude. I remember one point my wife and I, we were struggling like, like what's going on in our lives? Why are we feeling this way? And, and one of the guys that I had had on staff at that time, he and his wife were actually uh, Christian professional counselors and we gotten to be friends with them and we just went over and met with them and so just spend some time, just talk with us. We're trying to figure some things out. And so as we were sharing, like they just looked at us over the, this period of this decade and they said, like you guys have experienced more in these 10 years than most people experience in their whole life. And you know what? That didn't fix one thing for us. But you know what it did do? It made us go, okay, maybe we should be feeling this way. In fact, maybe a greater problem would be if we were bouncing around like nothing had happened and all this stuff had gone on. That would be a problem. But we were feeling consistent with what we had just gone through. You need to take some time to evaluate where you're at. Read about it. You have a list of books there. And I, I don't know if I put them in order, but, I, you know, can Christians get depressed? This is probably the shortest and maybe simplest, most comprehensive. Grab some of those books, read them, find out, learn about this. Go on a journey to understand what God's doing in your life in the midst of these things. Ask people who are close to you to speak into your life. You won't see it because it's often a gradual drift down, but other people will notice it. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. So seek to determine its causes by answering that question. The second thing I would say that going with this, not the next point, but under the seeking to determine the cause, is you need to address it holistically. You're a spiritual, you're an emotional, you're a physical person. If you need to get medical help to get started, get some. You're physical as much as you're spiritual. If there are physical aspects that have to be addressed, that could contribute to it, deal with it. If, if you have a poor diet, if you need some exercise, if you need more sleep, if you have too much stress in your life that you're creating and you don't have to have, address all those things. Don't oversimplify the problem. All these things can contribute. When, when I hit rock bottom, uh, my body just shut down. I couldn't pray. I couldn't read my Bible. I couldn't exercise. Nothing I could do enough of would make me feel better. And until I got some good godly counsel that helped me see myself holistically, that I understand what was going on in my body. And he encouraged me. He said, Chad, I think you need to go on medication. 
You have a, a, a physical issue going on in your brain right now because of how much you've run it down, that it doesn't matter what else you do. Yeah, could God heal me in a moment? Absolutely. Does he choose to do that every single time? No. Is it because I lack faith? Let me ask you a question. I'm not even going to answer that. I'm just going to ask you a question. If, I think one of God's greatest desires for us is for us to have more faith in him. The deeper our faith is, the better we're going to be. So let me ask you something. If I got healed every time I asked God, would that make me more faithful, have more faith if I knew everything was going to be easy every time I asked for it? Or does it take more faith to continue to trust God and be faithful to him even when you don't get what you want in this world? I think you can answer that question. It's not always about our faith. And this person told me, he says, once you balance out physically, you will have the energy and the mindset to start addressing the spiritual issues that I did have in my life. I had some spiritual issues that caused me to push as much as I did through these situations. I had identity issues. I had issues on what I thought success should be and, and I should be able to make it if I just worked hard enough. Those are all things that I had to deal with. I was in no shape to deal with them. I couldn't even sleep well. I couldn't exercise. I had no energy for that. But I got on medication. I'll tell you, in four weeks, which is typically what it takes for some of these to kick in, like on week four, a switch went off in me. I remember saying to my wife, oh my goodness, like I'm back. It was like someone had just dropped me back inside my body. And I had no idea how long I'd been feeling like that. It was such a long, slow, gradual process. If you're weak spiritually, you need to address it. If that's what's causing your depression, then address that. But look at yourself holistically and ask that question, why am I downcast? And ask it holistically. The second thing you see from the psalmist is that he then tells us what to do from that point. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope in God. Hope is the command here. Put your hope in God, for I shall again praise him. The ultimate solution in this world is not in this world. You must embrace an eternal perspective for your hope. As long as your hope resides this side of eternity, you will always find yourself more depressed than you need to be. Because there is not one thing in this world that you can put your hope in that will not let you down. You want to be depressed? Just raise your expectations for what you think life owes you and you will create the best scenario for you to be depressed for most of your life. Why do you think Americans are the most depressed people on the planet? Because we think we deserve a certain lifestyle. And there's nothing in the Bible that promises us that here. One key issue I had to deal with was that my identity is not tied up with my perceived success nor the success of my family. That's not where my identity comes from. I began to realize that personal faithfulness does not guarantee earthly success. I thought if I just worked hard enough, if I just did the right things, I could assure that I could be successful in a world's way. And God told me, Chad, how did that look in my son's life? How did Jesus' life exemplify your philosophy, Chad? You see, my philosophy was counter to the Gospels. And God had to change that in my heart and in my life. And just working harder 
just can't make difficulties go away. My life hasn't magically gotten easier since that time. In fact, it's probably gotten harder. But the difference is my hope is less and less in the things of this world that will always let me down and more and more in my life in Christ and the eternal reward and hope that awaits me for all of eternity. See, the experience of depression and discouragement is common amongst God's people. It does not mark the absence of God. It may, in fact, mark the presence of God more so than you can ever see. He knows where you are at. He sees you in the midst of your darkest moments. In fact, he may be closer to you in those moments than he ever is in those moments where you think you feel him the closest. He may be doing the greatest work that he has come and called you to do in those moments where he seems like he's further than you could ever possibly imagine from you. But he knows you. I want to read a portion of this psalm that Brandon read uh, a week ago, I believe it is, and then Seth's going to come up and sing a song that I think uh, applies to this concept right now and just kind of sing it over you as a congregation. This is Psalm 139, where David writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. inside me You call me out to pull me in You tell me I can start again I don't need to keep on hiding I'm fully known And loved by you You give me hope You're working things for good And it's not one or the other it's hard truth and ridiculous grace to be known, fully known, and loved by you. I'm fully known, and loved by you. It's so like you to keep pursuing. It's so like me to go astray. You got my heart truth, a kind of love that's bulletproof, and I surrender to your kindness, I'm fully known, and loved by you, you give me hope, you're working things for good, and it's not one or the other, it's hard truth and ridiculous grace to be known, fully known. your heart I cannot find the reasons why you give me so much how real how wide how rich how high it's your heart I cannot find the reasons 
give me so much I'm fully normal And loved by you You give me hope You're working things for good And it's not one or the other It's our truth and ridiculous grace to be known Death is the ultimate cause of all discouragement, of all depression. It could be an actual death in life. The loss of a loved one can lead to depression, but it is always death. Could be the death of a dream. Could be the death of an expectation you had. Could be the death of a marriage, of a relationship, of a career, the death of your health, the gradual death of our bodies that can lead us more and more into discouragement. Death is always at the heart of depression. If you follow the trail of smoke from whatever is discouraging, it will always lead down to something dying. But here's the beauty of that. Not only is death the cause of depression, death is the doorway through it. You see, until your hopes in this world die, you will never place them on a place that cannot be taken away, on a place that cannot be removed. If we put to death our inordinate hope in temporal things, if you will willingly kill things in this life that you tend to put hope in and put them to death, you will open up a doorway for you to have a hope and encouragement in something that cannot be taken away. In fact, it's only when we put our hope in our eternal God, our one and only living, everlasting God, that we finally will ever overcome depression in our lives. In fact, the psalmist alludes to that in this psalm in chapter 43 when he says in verses 3 and 4, he makes this statement. He says, send out your light and your truth. This is Old Testament, remember. He's referring here to Jesus. He's our light. He is our truth. But they didn't know that. He's just speaking this truth, saying, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, which is where the temple was, and to your dwelling, God. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. Do you know what happens at the altar? If you were an Old Testament person and you were worshiping and you got to go to the altar, do you know what happens at the altar, the most intimate place of worship with God at that time? Death. A whole lot of death. One animal after another is killed and slaughtered and put on that altar. And anyone who stood there, especially like a worship leader like the sons of Korah that would have seen that, and other priests that would witness that over and over again, would recognize two things that were so clear about God. One is God is holy and just. He will not allow sin to go unpunished. If you saw that many animals, if you saw the blood of that many animals being taken, the life of that many animals, it would be a rude awakening. We can't even handle going to see the hamburger that we eat on a regular basis being made and where it comes from. We just think it shows up in this neat little package in the store. But, but man, show a cow being killed? And we literally faint nowadays. They would have seen it over and over again, and they would have recognized sin always results in death. And death is always required of someone who sins against a holy God. But the other thing they would have seen is the infinite mercy of God. Because when that son of Korah, or you put 
anyone's name in there, was not on the altar for their own sin, but instead an animal was offered in substitute on their behalf, you would recognize this God is a merciful God. Because every animal that went on that altar was pointing them to the one sacrifice that once and for all would cover their sins, would forgive their sins. Jesus, Jesus is that sacrifice. And church, here's what we need to understand, that every one of these psalms points to him, and that Jesus is the only person on this earth who with integrity could ever ask the question that this psalmist asked, my God, where are you, God, in the midst of my suffering? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus is the only person that with integrity could ask that question because he lived perfectly and faithfully every moment he was on this earth. And yet, the reward he got for his perfect faithfulness was to be treated as if he was the worst criminal to ever walk the face of this earth. Whereas you and I, when we say, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? There's an easy answer for that. We're sinners. We're broken. He should forsake us. It makes total sense that we would find ourselves in that situation. What doesn't make sense is that Jesus found himself there and he asked the same question. But Jesus could also answer it. He knew why God forsook him at the cross. It was so he wouldn't have to forsake you and me. Jesus offered his life, his perfect sinless life, as a substitute for you and for me. And if it doesn't make sense, when you find yourself in a season where God seems so far away and it often doesn't make sense and there's often no answers, I want you to take a look at one other place that makes even less sense than our darkest moments. That's the perfect holy son of God nailed to a cross for your sin and for mine. Put your hope in him because he is doing the greatest work he will ever do in your life in your darkest moments that you will ever face let's pray father thank you for these truths <laughs> they are not easy truths for us to hear but lord we need to hear them we need to be a people. We need to be a church that, that understands how you work in this world and the circumstances and situations that we will face as your followers of Jesus. Lord God, as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's table today, May we be reminded of the incredible beauty and sacrifice of Jesus. Father, I, I can only think that, that Jesus technically had to be the most depressed person on earth. I mean, look at where he came from. He came from the utter joys and glories and pleasures of heaven. That is all he'd ever known his whole life. And yet, you sent him down to take on human flesh. He felt pain. He felt rejection. He was limited to one spot. He was restricted in many of his glories and all the, the traits that, that he had enjoyed forever. Talk about being squished. Talk about being depressed. Talk about being squeezed down into something where you feel like nothing compared to what you'd been. And yet, Jesus, you took on this body that we'll hold symbolically in a moment. You took on human blood. You limited yourself. You compressed yourself. You depressed 
yourself into this tiny little person in comparison to the grandeur of your beauty. (laughs) So that you could lovingly remind us that in our darkest moments, you're not that far away. In fact, maybe you're even closer than when we think you're right by our side. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for that hope. It's a hope like nothing this world can offer. And as we finish our service today, I pray that you will meet with each one of us and speak to our hearts to know how we can follow you in faithfulness. Amen. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, um, here's what I'd like you to do. There's a little card on your chair. There's the large one that has some resources on it. There's a small one that's just a, a response. It's a simple response. You can respond in general to the whole series. Maybe uh, the series on, or the message on guilt really struck you and God's working in your heart in that area. Maybe it's on shame. Maybe it's the one on depression, whatever it might be. But there's a spot for you just to say, Lord, I confess, you know, whatever it is, this guilt or this shame or, or this perspective on depression. You can write it in. You don't put your name on it. This is just you and God. And, and if it's around depression, maybe you're at a spot where you need to acknowledge that it's real in your life and, and take some steps to getting help. Uh, others, maybe, maybe you've jumped too quickly to, to some physical fixes for it. And you're just trying to fix it physically and and eliminate it from your life, but you haven't allowed it to speak into your life to see what God is wanting to teach you in the midst of it. You've just tried to numb it quickly without addressing it spiritually. Maybe that's what you need to confess today. For others that maybe it hasn't touched, maybe your confession is your pride. Maybe you think you're superior to those people who are experiencing this and you look down at them. You never say this, but you look down at people that are so weak that they're depressed. And you need to confess that today so that you can be part of a body that loves and welcomes and ministers to these people. And others of you, maybe you're fine with it, you're good with it, but you do what many of us can do is, is when you see that person that you know is probably depressed, you kind of just conveniently, you know, I'm going to jet over here. I don't want to get cut in a conversation again because I'm going to hear everything about what happened to them this week. And you avoid those people. We call them EGR people, extra grace required. I was an EGR people. I still am at times. Just ask my wife. And God's calling you to to lean in and love them in a proper way. Maybe even speak truth into their lives based on what you've learned now that could help them confront the depression that they're experiencing in their life. Whatever it is, I want you to write it down as you have some time to pray. And then you're just going to fold that up. It's just a tangible, simple way. You're going to fold it up, and you can walk to any one of the tables here up front to the back and lay it on the table and then pick up the elements, one of those cups, and just go back to the the seat and just keep praying as the worship team just sings over you. And then when everyone's through with that, uh, I'm just going to lead us through the Lord's Supper at that time as we close today.